What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl Smith. Welcome to a special edition of the Story Geeks podcast, where we dig deep into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've been wanting to talk about this for a long time, and we're so excited to be doing it as a special Buffy and Angel crossover event with our friends over at the Fanbase Weekly. They're going to be releasing a follow-up episode to this one where we dig deep into Angel, so be sure to check that out and complete the crossover. Joining me on today's show are, of course, our friends at the Fanbase Weekly, Barbara and Bryant Dillon, as well as Donna Gillio, cover artist for Fanbase Press's The Sequels, creator of series Rise with Scout Comics, and co-founder of In Hiatus Studios. Rounding out our lineup today is our newest host here at the Story Geeks, Mr. Nick Duke. Two quick updates before we get started. If you're watching The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, join us for a weekly podcast digging deeper into that show. You'll find that on our second channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. And if you want to vote on upcoming show topics or receive our discussion questions prior to every podcast, consider becoming a member of The Story Geeks Club. For more information on The Mandalorian Show and The Story Geeks Club and everything else we're doing, head on over to thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've been wanting to talk about this. How long have we been doing the podcast now? Three years, I think. And I've been wanting... I'm new. You're new. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put that question (laughs) on you directly. But uh, I've been wanting to talk about Buffy forever. So before we dive in, let me make some introductions. So first of all, you just heard him. This is our new host, Nick Duke's first show as a co-host. So how's it going? And then we have our good friends, Barbara and Bryant Dillon from Fanbase Press and the Fanbase Weekly. Welcome, you guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. And we're excited for this. Is Obviously, we talked about it in the intro, but this is a special crossover event. So... Yes. The follow-up to this will be the Angel episode, which will be on the Fanbase Weekly podcast. So How appropriate for these shows. across <laughs> <So excited>. <laughs> <laughs> And then lastly joining us um, is Don Aguilio. Don is the cover artist for the sequels comic, which is one of my favorite things that I read this year. Like, no joke. I love it to death. And Don, your covers are beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, um, really quick before we dive in, um, Don, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your stuff and kind of what you're up to and tell us a little bit about Don. Uh, well, I'm, I'm the creator for the series Rise, through, uh, published through Scout Comics, um, and uh, Fanbase Press has got me with sequels, and I'm also the co-founder of In Hiatus Studios, a, an indie publishing company out of uh, San Francisco, where I'm calling from, so... Um, we're awesome. sort of all over the place and that's kind of 2019 for me. So <laughs> <laughs> doing everything all at once, trying, trying. Yep. Yeah. And then Brian and Barbara, give us the lowdown on fan base too, before we get started here. Well, we're a, uh, uh, indie comic book publisher and geek culture website. Uh, we're all about, uh, celebrating fandoms and creating new ones. And, uh, you can find everything, uh, that we do at fanbasepress.com. Cool, cool, cool. And you do excellent stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to talk about Buffy? Let's do oh, this. Yes. We yes. are ready. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to start at the beginning and perhaps maybe before the beginning, technically, because Buffy obviously started as a film starring mm-hmm. Christy Swanson. We're here to talk primarily about the TV show, but it seems like we should start there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, totally different cast of characters, except for Buffy herself. So, but it wasn't quite as nearly as successful as the TV show is. <laughs> so, um, my question for you guys is: Why do you think the TV series strikes such a strong chord with fans, where the movie really didn't? And um, Don, why don't you start us off on this one? Um, I think the TV series uh, c- kind of served to correct some of the uh, the the wrongs that the that the movie kind of had. There was all sorts of trouble with production and all sorts of trouble with uh, with the creators. And I think I think the kind of the retooling of the the show towards a, a more specific audience was really great. And I think uh, they were also gifted with a a um, a support from the, a network that was that was ready to have them too. So, I just felt it was a more cohesive sort of package when sure. it was set out there into the world. Yeah, absolutely. Barbara, what do you think? I would agree. I think that, like Don said, uh, I don't think that the television series was taken in a direction that was in keeping with Joss Whedon, the creator's idea or spirit of what he had in mind. Um, you mean the and movie I, wasn't? Or the movie, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, the movie wasn't. Uh, and so I think given the opportunity to course correct that with the television series, I think that the spirit was truly there. And I think that uh, audiences having had that opportunity to see that, I, I think it simply just resonated with them much more deeply. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it, it really does come down to, uh, in this case, Joss Whedon. I think he had real vision for what that, uh, what Buffy was supposed to be. Um, and I think it was very much horror-based with a comedy uh, flair. Um, and they went opposite. They, for the t- uh, movie, it was yeah. more like comedy with a horror flair. And, and it's, it's interesting because I feel like there's something specific, it might be with other creators as well, but there's something specific with Joss Whedon's scripts where if he's directing it, he can usually make it work, but it's not always immediately accessible to other directors. And I think you see some of that in things like, uh, like Alien Resurrection, for example, which mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that the script is as bad as a lot of people uh, say it is, but it doesn't it fit in the way that it was it was uh, executed. So. Sure. What do you think, Nick? Right. Yeah. Uh, what resonates with you know human beings in media is characters, and I think uh, they were given much more room to like flesh out Buffy as a person and kind of like correct the things from the from the movie character wise to make her. Uh, like more endearing towards the audience. Like in the first episode, you like fall in love with Buffy. Yeah, you're on mm-hmm. board with who she is and her journey. And so, like, yeah, just being able to spend more time with that character, mm-hmm. I think, um, is a much better move than to have just like a two-hour introduction to that character. Yeah, and I think um, hopefully this this doesn't offend all the. Tim Burton fans out there, but the TV series did not have Pee Wee Herman. So. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I think it's a plus. Um, no, I mean, you guys are all right on for sure. I agree with all of that. I will say, um, you know, I, I like that they brought in the whole new cast of characters, but I always thought it would have been cool to see some version of Pike on the sure. series. Yes. I always, I mean, I know they had Spike, but that's a different character. There's, it's not there's the no vibe. matching Luke Perry. I know. I, right? I will <laughs> say that uh, if you're if you're a comic reader, you can dig up some old Dark Horse comics. They did an adaptation, a three issue adaptation of uh, 
the Buffy movie in the style of the show. And they also have a side story where Pike, uh, I think you follow immediately after the events of the movie, Pike and Buffy kind of like run away. They go off to Vegas and there's a whole adventure in in Vegas uh, and that that sort of reflects, is reflected in the show by sort of the comments that Buffy's mom is making in regards to like trouble Mm, that they've had before. So Pike is sort of spiritually still canon then. He, yeah, I guess he still exists in, within <laughs> the canon, apparently, you know? I mean, in the world of Buffy, like, anything can happen. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah let's give her a sister in season five. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll um, get there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start that journey. Let's start taking a look at each of these seasons, seven seasons that this show lasted, five of them on the WB, six of them on UPN. Um, and uh, let's just start going season by season and look at, kind of flesh out what are some of the major themes, what are some of the important ideas from these seasons, what really struck you from each season, and um, let's start, obviously, with season one, and Barbara, do you want to kick us off? Oh, dear. Um, I will be (laughs) fully honest that uh, season one is definitely not my favorite, Um, (laughs) uh, and for full disclosure, when I met Bryant in college, I was and I think your listeners might hate me, but I was not a fan of Buffy. And you have to understand that I was such a fan of Buffy that I came to college <laughs> with, uh, like, videotapes with specific episodes and also, like, determining yeah. where UPN would be available. That's how, I, <laughs> that's how I chose where to go to college, yes. Okay, so that, that, that does bring up a question because... I was the same way, Brian. I was totally into that show, and I was always afraid that my friends were going to make fun of me for watching what they might perceive to be a show directed at girls. But, mm-hmm. but Barbara, you said you weren't a fan of it. So was there any perception that Buffy was like a girl power type show or was how it did, how more did you of a judge guy show? How did I judge you? You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't necessarily the uh, female-oriented aspect to the show that uh, affected me in any way. I think when I first saw the show, it was an episode, what season was this? Three? Or no, two. I don't know what episode season two, you're talking I believe. about. Um, it was, the, I remember the exact scene, uh, Spike was in a wheelchair and then he stood up and that was the yeah. big reveal that he oh, could actually yeah. walk. Episode, and that was the season two, yeah. first episode. So I came into it having no concept of what anything was going on in the show. I only knew the movie. Um, and it just seemed so over the top campy to me that I was like, this is not for me in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, so it wasn't until Bryant kind of sat me down and said, you, you were going to watch this. Um, I that will I, make you love this. Exactly, exactly. But I will say uh, season one did definitely grow on me. It was really dark at times, and yes. I say that simply visually in that it yeah. was dark and hard to see what was going on. Especially if you go oh, back and watch it on streaming. It's like, exactly. Mm-hmm. First, first season of X-Files is like that too. Mm-hmm. It's like a 90s thing where it's, I don't know if they didn't have enough lights or if the cameras there's a graininess to it definitely definitely but um i i think the episode that always sticks out to me from season one is uh the hyena episode because i was like wow xander's pretty hot in this episode so (laughs) Um, but uh yeah that was season one for me (laughs) that's a great episode um season one i i you know what i loved buffy from the start i i caught the first episode uh when it aired um I didn't actually really get hooked on the show till season two, but I was aware of it season one, and I kind of... Um, it was, like you mentioned, Daryl, it was a show where 
I was really into X-Files and would talk with my friends about X-Files, and, like, Buffy was sort of my, like, guilty pleasure. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily I was afraid of uh, the genderizing of it. Uh, it was more like... Um, I just thought people would think of it as a goofy show, and I grew to love it more and more. It wasn't um, cool to be a geek back then. Like, yeah, it was yeah, a different yeah. world. Well, and it was even even within the geek world, it was like, oh, well, certain things are cool and certain things aren't, you know? Uh, so it, it, it definitely was interesting how Buffy sort of overcame those things. But the first season, um, I really re- remember just connecting with the characters big time. I feel like... Um, I've come to be more critical of some things, but I really remember feeling like, for me as a young uh, like man, there was no uh, representation like Xander on television, mm-hmm. and I felt like he was very realistic as a as a teenage boy, and the fact that he had these friends that he sort of had crushes on, but like he never felt like he measured up, and mm-hmm. like all all those things, I think. Uh, played uh, very real to me, as did um, Buffy herself as a hero and as a main character. Um, I just related intensely to her and, and some of the things that she went through, and I I guess that stuff got stronger, but I feel like that first season does have that, that core um, story and metaphor of, like, high school is hell and the, yeah. the difficulty of, of teenage life and how histrionic and big it can be sometimes to you as a teenager. Cool. Yeah. Don, what was your take on season one? Um, well, and this kind of goes back to your last question. Uh, I was actually still sort of hungover from uh, the original Buffy uh, Swanson version uh-huh. when I first started this show. So it, it took a couple episodes for me to like warm up to uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy. So sure. I actually, you know, got got pretty into Giles the character because he kind of grounded the characters <laughs> in the larger world. Uh, the mystical world, the larger world, being such an older figure, so I, I kind of, I kind of loved his presence mm-hmm. more so than everyone else, and he's not usually champion from the first season, but I really liked him, and I liked Merrick from the old one, so the the idea of the Watcher was kind of really interesting to me. Um, but at, at the, the same time, I was, uh, I was sort of in, I was, I was not sort of, I was in the closet, so, you know, watching this show was not a thing I like to talk about for for various reasons, and I'm like, I just. I, I had this more of a secret kind of um, l- love for this show that only yeah. ca- that I sort of had. So that was sort of my experience with, with season one. But my favorite episode is actually the, the season finale. That, that one kind That's of a good one. Mm-hmm. Sure. got me in touch with where the show really wanted to go and the larger world it was trying to suggest. So Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally love, you know, the whole high school is hell thing. That, it, like, Sunnydale literally is the hell mouth, you know, and, uh, you know, season one kind of hits a lot of the kind of typical um, uh, high school notes from, you know, like, uh, my favorite episode is uh, the witch episode. Mm -hmm. where That's a good one. The uh, Buffy joins the cheerleading team. Right. And there's another cheerleader who has, like, a very domineering uh, mother uh, who used to be a cheerleader and even has a like you know her picture in the in the trophy case. Yep. <laughs> um, and the, what I love this is where like I feel like I got hooked into Buffy because like as you kind of start that episode you're like oh this is kind of from the jump you're like oh yeah she's got a domineering mom it's right, about right. why you shouldn't yeah. be a domineering mom. Yeah. But then like how it f- like flips and you find out like 
the the mom is the, the mom is and, actually yeah. the daughter, and the daughter's the mom, and you're yeah. like, what? It's a secret Freaky Friday scenario. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's I I loved things like that where they kind of take uh, like really uh, simple themes, but like show you in a new and interesting way. Yeah. Um, so like I I liked the the first season in that way as the, it, it was like an introduction to this um, to the Buffy formula. Yeah. Um, where you get to appreciate uh, the kind of the horror elements and the silly elements and like how they how they meet and uh, you know just take away and like this show came out before I was in high school I was like 10 years old when Buffy started um, so like I was like is this what high school is like Barbara my experience was similar to yours uh, timing wise in that I found the show during season two and um, I think I came into it pretty shortly before Angel turns and goes evil. And I remember just thinking that that was completely fascinating. And then I somehow found out that it was the second season because they didn't pay a whole lot of attention back then. Like now seasons are all labeled as you go and stuff. But back then mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. So I went back and found the first season and got all the foundation and stuff like that. And... I agree that it really does kind of find its footing in the second season more than the first, just because I really like serialized storytelling, and the first season wasn't quite as serialized. Right. It was a little bit more villain of the week. Mm-hmm. But um, I might be dating myself on this question, but when you guys saw Buffy, did anybody look at Giles and say, hey, that's the guy from the Maxwell House coffee commercials? Yes. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so not just me. I heard a yes out there somewhere. <laughs> I read about it. I remember I, I like we'd get these like Buffy like books and stuff, and they would always talk about uh, you know the fact that uh, he had had this previous role that he was well known for, and many people knew him from that. But I never uh, I never saw it myself. So Don, was that you that said yes? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was so weird to me that the Maxwell House guy was on like a sci-fi fantasy TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But well, and the wasn't the old Spice guy in it? Oh, the chapter two. He oh, plays the, the adult. I haven't seen chapter kid. two yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember that being a thing where people were saying like the old Spice guy is cast <laughs> in the new it. Movie. <laughs> What's happening? Hey, everybody's got to grow, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, season two. Yes. So, uh, Nick, why don't you start us off this time? What do you see as themes and ideas and stuff from season two? Yeah, I, ju- I jumped in um, season two probably. I, I remember um, starting season one probably like when it when it came on. But I was I was a kid, so I was just like going in and out of TV. Um, but like season two rolled around. And that's when I like really became a fan of the show. And I even named my dog Buffy. Nice. Um, yeah, she's the golden lab. She's awesome. Um, but, yeah, season two has that really, really great um, episode. I think it's called Innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where, you know, like, uh, Buffy and Angel are kind of, like, on and off. Yeah. Like, will they, won't they kind of thing. Um, but, like, when they actually finally do, like, get together and... Um, you know, they sleep together and Angel goes bad, you know, I thought that was like (laughs) such a cool 
uh, theme for like real life, you know, like yeah. there's the, there's those kinds of guys out there, yeah. you know, um, like once you sleep with them, they're going to, you know, just like toss you aside and then how like Buffy kind of deals with that and like by the end of the episode she's wielding a rocket launcher you yeah know? <laughs> and like <laughs> uh like aiming it you know at the at the bad guy the not that he was i don't know if he was the big bad guy for that season the blue guy yeah it was uh he's like a mid-season, mid-season yeah yeah one, yeah but like you know an angel sitting there next to him and she's like well you can get out of the way or don't i'm yeah. firing this rocket launcher <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know so i'm trying to move on um, but I, I thought that was a cool theme in that in that season. Like, it, it kind of, it's kind of cautionary to young women, um, but also shows like how you know you can move on yeah. from that. The dangers of of premarital sex, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> versus the '80s where you just got killed for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by some dude with a machete. <laughs> um, Don, what was your take on season two? Um, season two, just young, impulsive, passionate love where you just fall uh, head over heels. You just uh, dive as deep as you possibly can because you can't get, you know, you can't get enough of it. There was, I think there was some hints of maybe addiction to love in there, but, you mm-hmm. know, that's not really explored until much later. But, you know, even the males in the show, I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a female empowerment show for the most part, I, I guess, um, on surface. But even the males, they were, their narratives were like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through. Love is going to be difficult. And, you know, mm. Xander with the Valentine episode and then uh, even with Giles's whole ordeal with tr- trying to find uh, the right way to, to find love with, with uh, Jenny Callender was, yeah. was just really rough to watch. Um, and we all know how that ended. So, And we all know um, that Joss Whedon does not like people to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> So, you know, as, as teenagers, for most of us, or, you know, going into our 20s, learning love in that way, um, I looked at it like, oh, that's how love goes. I didn't realize that it was, it was like, um, just kind of a cautionary tale or on, like, be careful yeah. of falling too deeply in love or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, how about you? Uh, season two is is my favorite season. I think, really? Yeah, I, I, I love this season. It's it's the top of Buffy for me. Um, uh, there are obviously flaws, but I think uh, a lot of things that you guys spoke to really are what uh, allowed the show to sink its uh, you know hooks into me. Um, the Buffy Angel romance I thought was fascinating. Then when it, we got to this revelation of him losing his soul, I, you know, it, it totally sucked me in. And then I, much like uh, Nick mentioned with uh, the witch episode, I felt like what really impressed me and, and, and hooked me about this season was that I kept thinking I knew what was coming next. And the showrunners and the writers kept impressing me and blowing yeah. my mind. I never expected... I remember they specifically had a... Uh, promo that run uh, that had ran after one of the shows where they're like hey uh angel has promised to kill buffy's friends and next week the first one dies and they killed jenny calendar the next week and i was like holy crap i can't believe (laughs) like you know because you were just used to like shows lying to you and and pumping up hyping up things and then i just expected we were going to lose angel that he was going to be killed off at the end of the season in some manner that spike was going to do it when Buffy couldn't or something and then we got this 
you know, a massive tragic moment where he has his soul restored but still has to be sent to hell and just the pathos of the show at that point really just I was I was a, a fan for life at that point so um, it really yeah they I mean really is the heart of the show to me cool Barba um, I'm conflicted about season two and I say this with the caveat that I really do like Buffy I really do <laughs> um, I am not an angel fan. Um, so, A, I'm very excited of the introduction of Spike in the season. <laughs> Bad boy. Um, I, what I always had, and this comes back in the third season as well, but I often had issues with Angel's depiction of telling Buffy what would happen with their relationship and deciding that for her. Mm. Um, and I always greatly took issue with that. And as much as I love... Um, uh, you had mentioned the the episode. Oh, good. What was the episode where um, innocence? Innocence. Um, yeah. As much as I love the end of the episode where Giles and Buffy are in the car, and he is just very honest with her that he trusts her and he loves her and respects her and and um, doesn't uh, look down upon her for having sex. Um, I do feel like throughout the show of Buffy there seems to be a negative depiction of any time Buffy has sex with someone. Yeah, it never goes well. (laughs) It never goes well. And so that makes me a little sad um, for that depiction. But I do think that, again, I do appreciate uh, her conversation with Giles at the end of that episode. So, um, but yeah, overall, not a huge Angel fan. Happy with the introduction of Spike. (laughs) You prefer Captain Peroxide. I do. I do. Um... Yeah, you guys all said all the great stuff. The biggest thing I remember from season two, this is dark, but for some reason I love the fact, on the episode when Jenny Callender gets killed, I love the fact how they depict Angel as being brutal in a fashion that he has her in his grips, he can do whatever he wants, he's a vampire. It makes sense that he would bite her, right? But no, he doesn't even bother to do that. He just snaps her neck and lets her fall to the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, oh man, that is a brutal villain right mm-hmm. there. Like, he doesn't even care enough to bite her, yeah. you know? I just, Giles, that Giles kind of stuff, I like that kind of stuff because it feels like it adds stakes to the storytelling for me and, and the fact that they would kill Jenny off at all because you didn't see that a lot in TV back then. Like, mm-hmm. they did not want to upset their status quo so they couldn't go killing off characters unless it was, like, the end of the show. Yeah. Um, in season three, we get one of my favorite characters. We get Faith. Love Faith. Um, so let's talk a little bit about season three. Bryant, you want to kick us off on that one? Sure. Um, I, I really like season three. It's a really strong season. Um, I feel like this was right around, at least for me in high school, this was right around when uh, between like the, en- the last half of season two and, the f- and season three is really when people started to admit, like, hey, I'm watching this show. Are you watching this show? And, <laughs> yeah. and suddenly everyone was watching this show. And, and I guess you can kind of see that in some of the, uh, the money that's injected in the show, because the show is a little bit brighter, they seem to be able to do a little bit more, um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. The character of Faith is really great because she's like this dark reflection on Buffy, you know, obviously played as a foil. I think uh, even though uh, Eliza Dushku isn't always the, sh- the, the strongest actress, I feel like she's so... Uh, gets the character of Faith that she comes with, she just comes in with a real force mm-hmm. and, and changes the dynamics of the show and adds to each episode. 
uh, that she's in. And um, well, I I really love season two. I would argue like the fight between Faith and Buffy at the at the end of season three is one of the best choreographed fights that they have in the show. I remember watching that and feeling like I'm just watching a movie right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so good. Uh, Don, what was your take on season three? Uh, I think. Um uh, in contrast to season two, season three really tied the whole monster of the week with the milestones of high school, the strongest mm-hmm. for me, especially since, you know, we, we all remember what it feels like to be a senior in high school. And every single weekend there was something going on, like a dance or, mm-hmm. or um, uh, something like that. I, th- I, think, I think the ties there were strongest for se- in season three for me. Uh, the idea of, like, duality not just within Faith, but within, like, the, the persona of the Slayer. You, you're, you're given Buffy and Faith, and you're constantly being thrown two sides of the same coin. That was, um, that was one of the, the big driving forces for Season 3 for me. And um, based, uh, like what we were talking about with the fight scene, I think Sophia Crawford as, as Buffy's stunt double was, was probably one of the, the strongest warriors I've ever seen on, on, on television. She was fantastic. And, yeah, and in... You know, in film, she was she was a quality martial artist, and uh, uh, her presence re- was really felt. I think strongest in season three, if not towards the end of season two. I think she she was given a great sandbox to play in. Cool. So, yeah, that was season three for me. Barbara, how about you? I think this is actually my favorite season. Uh, for me, this is when there started to be a lot of standalone episodes in the sense that they really allowed specific characters to shine and to resonate with audiences. Uh, Band Candy um, is when I think I fell in love with Giles. He just became (laughs) the coolest guy. And I don't know, (laughs) not that he wasn't a wonderful performer and he had a great role, but he just became so much more... He was, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you get... uh, Doppelgangland, you yes. get the wish. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many fantastic episodes that allow you. And the Zeppo with uh, Zeppo. Xander. There's even um, that one that never uh, aired when it was first. Uh, the earshot, earshot that deals mm-hmm. with uh, school violence yeah. and and yeah. hear, be hearing the pain of being a high schooler, which is just a fantastic episode. Yeah. So I think for me, this season overall was really where the characters came into their own, they were given the opportunity to shine, and for me, definitely, they, they really resonated. Cool. How about you, Nick? Does season three have the Halloween episode, or is that uh, the two. one in the frat house? Season no, when they become their... Uh, oh, where they become costumes. the costumes. Is that season two? That's season two, oh. yeah. They did it like every other season, I think, was a Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. okay, never mind then. Um, yeah, like my, my whole thing with season three, I love the introduction of Faith and that she was kind of the the anti-Buffy. Yeah. Um, and I love that, like, when... Immediately when she shows up, everyone loves her. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> Buffy is just like, what happened? Yeah. It's like, it's a very relatable thing, like, when, you know, you have your, your core group of friends in high school and then, like, a new kid shows up and kind of, like, squeezes their way into your group and, like, mm-hmm. where you feel like you're maybe kind of the the leader of the group or the most liked of the group and then like this other person comes in that everyone takes to. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm, I thought I was cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And I don't know. I, I feel like Elijah Dusku was like perfect choice for faith. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think she's coming off of, um, true lies, true lies. Yeah. yeah. Playing Arnie's daughter. Yeah. 
and uh, she just like like you guys were saying like the the fight scene at the at the end the graduation uh, finales was so good and uh, oh uh, Giles being fired from the the council yeah the council and yeah. yeah it's it's a really cool season I think it's like when you know things start kind of escalating for the series yeah. because then like after this it's like every 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 season after is kind of like whoa what's gonna happen yeah. oh my god like, bigger 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 yeah. bigger and bigger yeah so yeah I think you mentioned Giles getting fired one of my favorite things in season three is what they really start to poke holes in the kind of the construct of yeah. the chosen one and the watchers council yeah and they start to show that those are just people and they're flawed and mm-hmm. it's not like the best system and it really starts to break down and Buffy evolves beyond it. Yeah, because like every, everything before that was just kind of like, you know, you hear it's, it's tradition, right. you know, it, for hundreds of years or thousands of years or whatever. Yeah. And then like, yeah, throwing, it's always a good thing to do when you set up like a system in a story to break it down right, and see, you know, is this really the best system? Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And um, we'll talk more about supporting characters later, but I have to say one of my favorite things of this season is Oz. I love Oz. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. great in that season. Mm -hmm. And we get the introduction of Wesley in this, which is not so Mm -hmm. great here, but we'll talk later on about that. (laughs) (laughs) One Um, thing that's really interesting about season three that I do want to mention is, like, once again, the show does things that other shows weren't doing at the time, where it had this huge success with the Angel and Buffy romance, and by the end of the season, we're we're jettisoning that. We're, We're not keeping the characters in high school we're allowing them to actually graduate and that becomes a theme of, of the season and they're going to move on which was very unusual for high school shows and and I just I feel like that's really interesting how much the show was like hey we're going to make these bold choices instead of trying to extend yeah. what's working right now you know yeah and I remember knowing that Angel was going to get a spin-off after that season and just mm. the excitement of that mm-hmm. I was like oh I'm so excited for this Um, Okay, season four. Let's get into the initiative and Adam and all of that good stuff. So, um, Barbara, why don't you kick us off on season four? Sure. Um, So uh, I am someone that always very heavily identified with Willow throughout the series. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was a rough season for me because I was very upset with Oz. I struggled with that quite a bit. Um, What was interesting for me, though, not necessarily in watching this season, but I think in revisiting it, uh, when I watched it, I just really wasn't a huge fan of the initiative episodes, which I realized were quite a a few of them. Uh, But in looking back, I think that it's really interesting what the writers were trying to say with the idea of individuation and that the concept of that is. Uh, as you, especially for those who go to college or, or go away from home, they try to find their own identity. And I think it's interesting that they compare um, Riley, who has always lived in this uh, militaristic kind of follow the rules and just do what you're told uh, mentality. And so he really has to see outside of that and become his own person and realize what that is. Uh, I think it's interesting to have that juxtaposed with Buffy who has never had that and really longs for feeling like she fits in and longs like to, to be a part of something bigger like that. Um, 
but also, you know, in seeing that, that it's not always the best thing, and sometimes it is important to be yourself and to uh, follow your own path. So I, I did find that it was an interesting season because of that. Cool. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, um, same thing with the initiative. I was just kind of like, eh, I don't really care about the initiative so much. <laughs> um, but I, I love that they have uh, an episode... Um, I forget what it's called, but it, it's basically about, you know, the dangers of drinking. Yeah. It's just so, so like, I, it, it's such a cool uh, representation of, like, how that show was not afraid to, like, when it would get too serious, there would be an episode like that. Well, I was know? just going to say, didn't that one follow, like, a really serious episode, too? I'm going to yeah. go back and look at the list. And I forgot it. we came before it and what comes after, but, like, that that episode to me was, like, I don't know. I like when, when there's like a kind of a break in the drama where you can just laugh. Like uh, Barry, the HBO show Barry kind of mm-hmm. does a, a good job at that when there'll just be like uh, a setup episode, a continuation of that, and then an episode that's just super silly. And then it goes back to like your normally scheduled program. Um, but. Um, oh, also, of course, everybody's, I'm sure everybody's favorite episode is Hush. Hush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which I just rewatched uh, last night just because it's Hush. It's so um, good. Yeah, which it's, it's funny because there's so much um, that leads up to, like, the actual, like, uh, monsters showing up. Like, kind of, to me, it's like kind of some, some filler stuff. But, like, once it gets into that, it's, like, it's so sp- spooky. And, like, the image of those floating uh, businessmen, gentlemen. The gentlemen, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I'm seeing that as a kid was, like, so haunting. Like, I always thought, like, if I looked out my window, uh, like some of those characters did. Seriously? And they just see, like, those guys, like, floating down the street. And then one, like, floating right by the window, mm-hmm. you know, with that rictus, like, grin on their faces and i think that moment when buffy finally breaks the thing and yells yeah that blood curdling scream like that's one of my favorite moments of the whole series which is a yeah which is a fun theme right you know like these businessmen like coming and stealing uh stealing your voice and like feeling like you don't you can't say anything and then like you just like breaking through that and then just shattering their minds with your Opinions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, um, but yeah, that that's this season has uh, some of like my favorite like individual episodes like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, cool. Bryant, what about you? Um, I actually like season four a lot. Um, I, it gets a lot of uh, a grief, I think, because it's not. Uh, it it had some uh, behind the scenes issues. Uh, you know, Seth Green left earlier than expected, and I think there were some other. Uh, production aspects that were they were dealing with, but I, I actually really like it. I think there's a lot of strong explora- exploration of that initial freshman year of college, and um, and I really like the feeling of like sort of dividing up the main cast into these various storylines, and then finding this organic way to sort of bring them back together by the end of the season, and then have that little that restless episode where we get to have this dream sort of um, uh, almost like commentary or retrospective on where these characters 
are at this point in, in their lives and where they were. And, and I think that's really interesting as well. Cool. Don, how about you? Um, yeah, the, that deconstruction of family was a really big thing for me where they all kind of went on their separate paths like Barbara and, and Brian were talking about. But um, at the, the interesting, my favorite episode from that was uh, Who Are You When Faith Comes Back? And she actually, she becomes that sobering voice who says, look at all these, look at home and look at what you've forgotten when you went off into the world. And, you know, you've forgotten me, you've forgotten about your mom, you've forgotten about all these things that made you who you are when you're finding these exciting new things to, to follow and, and be lost in. Uh, that was a really important message for me, and I, I agree with the initiative. It was just kind of, a, kind of a side thing for me, even though it was the main focus of the, the season. I think my focus was on the family breaking apart and coming back together. Yeah. Yeah, the initiative was tough because it's almost too real-world a thing to bring into the Buffy world, you know? Yeah. yeah. If you're going to try to tackle the military... Mm-hmm. in such an extreme <laughs> fantasy world that's kind of tough so and why do they have electricity guns yeah like how is that better than actual guns <laughs> yeah and the tinfoil laboratory a was a little much for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> the tinfoil laboratory uh, i did like the uh the sort of like uh, uh clockwork orange idea of we're gonna put a chip in your head that prevents you from doing evil yeah it's, yeah, uh, it, yeah you know it just wasn't i don't know that it was always it became a convenient thing for spike to kind of get him into the group but i don't know that they ever quite explored the evil of uh harnessing evil that way or like hampering evil mm-hmm. yeah and the chip lasted so much longer than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. It did, yes, that's true. Well, from what I understand, Spike was only supposed to be around for like a few episodes, but yes. like everyone liked him so much that they kept him in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then they had an interesting conundrum with season four because the idea was that he would become Cordelia and be the one kind mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. in the group saying, this is stupid, but then uh, Anya fit that role so well that it was like, well, we don't need Spike because yeah. it's weird trying to force Spike to be in every scene when he's not really friends with these people. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But he eventually found his place. Yeah, and I like that they they sort of made fun of him throughout the whole time because it's like, what does he do when he's not yeah. with them? Like, what does Spike do with his time? <laughs> and they really do kind of explore that eventually, which I think is funny. Um, I will say I loved Riley Finn, though. I wish we got more Riley. Oof. I like Riley. He doesn't get. He doesn't have enough fans, so yeah. I, I will admit my uh, my fan fandom for Riley. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't necessarily the best story arc, I will say, but I liked his character a lot. So, um, okay, now it's time to get controversial. Season five. Uh oh. It's time. It's. Uh, Ooh, is this controversial? My favorite uh, DVD cover. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is telling. <laughs> Okay, well then you can start us off on this one, Nick. Tell us why season five rules and Don is the best character ever. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> too hard a setup. If, if you if, if you're gonna introduce a character and pretend like they're there, they've always been there. I I don't know. I guess it's like okay to like later go. Oh, she wasn't always there. It was just like a dimensional thing. Yeah, it's like okay, uh, sure. In the sci-fi world, that. That's an interesting thought. I don't know it's actually executed totally well, but I don't know. I think season five has, um, to me, like the most dramatic uh, moment in it's the, I believe it's season five, it's the death of Buffy's mom. The body. Yes. The body, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is all done in one shot that 
when Buffy comes home and, and finds her yeah. on the couch. Um, I appreciated, like, the reality of that scene. Yeah. You know, and, like, Buffy's gone through, at this point, so much. Like, she's lost a lot. Um, she's gained a lot, but she's lost a lot. And, like, this is, like, kind of uh, the ultimate loss, you know, of yeah. a parental figure. And just, it, I don't know, I guess just to reiterate, like, I appreciated how real it was and how, you know, she called 911 and she's just like, I'm, like, do you know how to do CPR? And she's going, I, I, uh, I, I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember. It's just so, so, like, so real, you know, yeah. like, the panic. Like, she can fight vampires all day and monsters and stuff, but, like, when it comes to, like, you know, something as traumatic as that, like, it, it's something that we do is, like, you freeze up and you go, I, I don't know what to do. And Yeah. Um, that that is probably one of the only things that I really appreciate about season five. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there there are things to love in there. Don, what's your opinion of Don? <laughs> <laughs> so profound. Uh, uh, I wasn't a big fan of of the character. Uh, I don't think I actually started liking her until much, much later. I think season seven. Yeah. Um, when she really got a chance to shine or, or the, the writers had a chance to, you know, correct some of the things, maybe. Is that uh, too presumptuous of me to say? Um, but I think season five, I really appreciated that Joss, even though he had um, a lot of other projects he was uh, working on, that he, he really trusted his writers. Um, I think that was a big deal for me. My favorite was uh, Checkpoint, when, again, the, the bigger mythology of, of the Watchers Council came in and decided to, to step into the chaos and, and put Buffy, or try to put Buffy back on their path in the best way that they could, knowing that they, they weren't the authority anymore and that they weren't going to be for the, for the rest of the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, the gift was... The gift was fun. It was, I think it was a solid way for Joss to kind of pull loose strings together given such a chaotic season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's the best way I could put that season together without some, you know, highlights here and there. Right. Sure. Barbara, what do you think? For me, I think that it's interesting. The season seems very overall disjointed to me yeah. from a storytelling perspective, but I think that that is very... For anyone that has attended college, their sophomore year, it's not your freshman year, so it doesn't have that excitement to it of, you know, you're here for the first time, you're experiencing everything for the first time. So your second year, you're you're just in it, and you have to really figure things out. Um, so I liked that aspect to it, but I think overall, um, yeah, I think that this struggled a little bit, but I think that there were two episodes that were standouts for, for me. Obviously, the body, as we talked about, I think that's some of the best television that I've ever seen, period, uh, hands down, not only for the series, but just in general. Um, but I also have to say, I think that uh, Full for Love was really fantastic mm. as well um, for really digging into the character of Spike and setting up his trajectory for the, the rest of the series. Totally. Brian, what about you? Um, I'm, I guess I'm going to agree with Barbara a lot. I, I, I actually <laughs> really like season... <laughs> very appropriate. I really like season five. I don't hate... Much like Riley, I don't hate Don as much as I feel like a lot of uh, the rest of the audience did. I didn't struggle as much with the uh, 
the fact that she was sort of magically or mystically um, inserted, I kind of almost expected that to a degree, um, given that we had to go through a couple episodes where you're just like, what is going on? Um, what I found interesting about this season is I feel like there's a lot of really good ex exploration of... It, it's You mentioned sophomore year, Barbara, but I would argue that they literally go after season four, the... the Writers go, we're done with college. We're not going to examine college yeah. anymore. And this one is all about, like, what happens when someone close to you, someone in your family, is sick? Mm -hmm. How do you circle the wagons with your family? What are your obligations to family? How do you survive? And then there's also this secondary examination with the concept of a slayer. Like, is a slayer anything more than a weapon or a killer? And, like, what, how do I feel about that if I am just something to destroy other things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think both those play out pretty well. Um, and then you add, like, I mean, because I love Spike as well. Mm -hmm. They do really dive into his character uh, in this one. And they have this interesting thing where you see, hey, wh what kind, what is the Spike uh, persona? And how did, he, how did this very insecure individual build it? in order to, like, exist in this world, you know, and sort of uh, protect himself from his, you know, his protect his vulnerabilities. But there's also this interesting thing that we continue to explore, like, of, like, um, and Buffy does this the whole way through each season, where each season kind of makes the world uh, more complex and more in shades of gray. And so we're breaking down this idea of, all demons are bad, all vampires are bad, if you don't have a soul, you're automatically evil. And so we get this idea of, like, there is a complexity to Spike where he can love or care about certain things in certain ways, but also can't do it completely as a human, which is an interesting concept, especially as you're examining, like, what is my role as a slayer, and is what, I, and what I'm doing, is it correct, you know? Yeah. I think, um, Don, I'm really with you on, as far as the Watchers Council stuff. I loved the, the arc of Buffy in this one sort of, you know, going up against a god in glory who was not my favorite villain. <laughs> but, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> but um, I loved the fearful approach that Buffy took in, a, in fighting her and just the realization that there are things stronger than her and she's going to have to find other ways to succeed. She can't just punch her way out of everything. And that scene where the Watcher's Council comes and Buffy's all afraid to face Quentin and she's just afraid of that confrontation and then she just realizes, wait a minute, you're here because you need me because I have the power. Like, I love that episode where she just kind of rises up so and good. she's like, no, no, I got this. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I am not a big fan of Dawn, I admit. Um, I don't mind the idea of bringing a little sister in. For me... I hope this doesn't sound too harsh, but it might be more of a casting issue. <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed Michelle Trachtenberg. Um, and I really don't like the episodes where they sort of relive Buffy's experience through Dawn, you know, where they have right. her, like, have, you know, end up in a car making out with a vampire and all these mm -hmm. kinds of things that she, I think that might be season six. But just the whole retreading that stuff with Dawn, it's like, well, we watch Buffy do all that. We don't need to see Dawn do mm -hmm. it, too. Um. So yeah, let's move on to season six. Oh well, we forgot to mention that. Oh, Buffy died at the end of. That's a good thing season. to mention, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, technically she died at the end of season one, too. That's yeah. true. <laughs> it happens occasionally. The inscription they put on her grave or whatever was like, she saved the world a lot. A lot. They yeah. should also yeah. say yeah. she died a lot. Yeah. 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 Also yeah. died a few times. Yeah. Yep, she does die, which, I mean, despite the fact that we knew she would come back, obviously, because she's the title character, like, mm-hmm. I still feel like that was a good episode. Like, that was a good, yes. affecting episode, sacrificing herself to save Dawn. So I was impressed with that. Usually, I can be critical when they kill off a character that you know they can't really kill off. Yeah. But I think they did a good job. Well, the, it, it sets up a cool thing for the next season, which yeah. we'll get into. So let's get into it. Um, yeah. Brian, you want to kick us off on season six? Sure. Uh, yeah, season six, I, I like this season a lot, too. I know for some it was a, a rough season. There, we're, With both season six and seven, I feel like they... The, uh, some of the some of the quality of the show, some of the examinations uh, took a little bit of a hit. I think Joss was also working on several other TV series at the time, yeah. and so we had Marty Knoxon show running, and she had control. It felt to me as a fan, she had control of some aspects of Buffy, but not others. This um, is right about the time when Firefly started coming, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. and Angel and Angel was so, going yeah. on at the same time yeah. as well. Um, but this season, what I really like about this season is it's a full-fledged exploration of, like, where some people end up, especially young people, end up after um, after college. When you're just, you know, if, if things don't go right or if you do graduate and you're, ta- you're thrown into the real world, just the idea of not knowing your place, not knowing what's next, not feeling like there is something out there for you. And I thought it was really powerful to see... Buffy struggle with those things to have, uh, you know, a commentary on addiction and uh, sort of the struggle for thing for characters like Giles about like how do I, you know, be a good uh, parental figure when someone needs to stand on their own. Um, so I, I thought there were a lot of really interesting subjects explored here. And once again, for me, I think the romance, even though it was a very toxic, dark romance, uh, the Spike-Buffy romance was another fascinating aspect of the show. Totally. Mm-hmm. Barbara, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I actually, for me, and I know that a lot of people don't like this season, I really do enjoy this season. I think that it does a tremendous job of exploring uh, not only mental health in general, but the impact of trauma on individuals in different ways. And so um, I do think that the the Willow um, uh, magic abuse storyline was a little heavy-handed, but I think it does go hand-in-hand with the idea of how individuals deal with trauma, and that's um, Buffy in dealing with her death. But it can I think that it likely resonated with a lot of different people going through a lot of different kinds of trauma, whether that be depression, whether that be... Um, sexual assault uh, as Brian alluded to with Buffy and Spike Um, and uh, as well as uh, in still dealing with grief and death for both Buffy and for uh, Willow in the death of Tara Um, so I I think it does a a real I I do think that it needs to be commended for taking on pretty uh, challenging topics and trying to depict them as realistically as possible yeah absolutely I totally agree Don what do you think um, I was lo- for this season. I was looking to Xander to kind of grant ground everyone, but as Bryant said before about the creators, they they're gonna keep throwing curveballs at you. So when he when um, he left Anya at the altar yeah. um, as kind of the milestone event for that season in terms of a normal life, uh, 
I was I was broken up in all sorts of ways because I was really looking forward to that episode resolving in sort of a standard way, knowing what, knowing everything else that was going on. And then the the other big moment for me was um, Buffy's vulnerability with Spike in the bathroom in her own home, like talking about um, the idea of some of our biggest villains in life not being complete strangers. Um, as much of a stranger as Spike may have been portrayed in this season just from the darkness of like their relationship I think um, his kind of moment with her where she's on the floor crying and 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 realizing what's what they've turned into was kind of a big moment for me that was that was really dark I yeah I didn't take that well and I think that was a testament to 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 good writing in such a tumultuous season yeah absolutely what do you think Nick yeah um I appreciated the the dive into like mental health mm-hmm. in this season. It's my that's something I deal with, something my family deals with, and um, but I what I love it at at the end of this season, um, you know when Willow is um, like kind of feeling everyone's suffering and she just kind of wants to end it all, yeah, so that there's no more suffering. Uh, and it's love that kind of, you know, take takes her down from that, you know, the love of her friends and people that surround her, um, which I think is a powerful message, you know, to people that are suffering in that way. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you may want to end all the suffering, but, you know, there's people who love you and can help you. Um, yeah, and Xander gets to be... The hero, yeah, you know? to be the hero, yeah, um, which is cool, um, and then you know, so she gets the dark magic, you know, drained from her, um, but, and then in turn that also helps Buffy kind of um, promise to be there for her friends more, you know, because I mean she got ripped out of heaven, which sucks, <laughs> and you know is kind of depressed because of that, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just, I, you know, it kind of brings a sense of, uh, family and unity amongst the, the characters. Yeah. Again, you know, it helps, makes you kind of feel, uh, warm about that. Yeah. The whole idea of the fact that she was in heaven was Mm -hmm. so new to me at the time. Cause usually if someone dies and you bring them back from the dead, cool. That's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) But they really took a dark turn there and said, no, she was better off where she was, and they robbed mm-hmm. her of that. Yeah. And that was so dark. Um, we get a musical episode in this season, which I don't know about you guys, but I own that soundtrack, and I do listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, yes. Um, me too. <laughs> and then one of the weirdest things about this season for me is, um, is uh, Warren and Andrew and Jonathan, which... It's weird to go back and watch this season now because sure is. <laughs> now you look at those guys and the stuff that they're into, and it's like, well, now everybody's into that stuff. Like, so yeah. why are they such outcasts for that? And why are you? <laughs> why are we making fun of them for that? And it's like everybody loves Star Wars. Everybody loves this yeah. stuff, you know. And it's it's a weird sort of commentary on the way things were at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also I would I think especially. 
you can look at it also as like a precursor or a insight to some of the toxic fandom that we have seen. Yeah, I mean, right. here we have, you know, some three uh, white male individuals who get the ability to do some of the, like, I mean, they've experienced sort of the weirdness or the supernatural of, of Sunnydale with their experiences, and they get some of these powers, and like... I think you see the variations given Jonathan's uncomfortability with some of it and sort of Andrew's uh, hero worship mm -hmm. of, of Warren. But Warren completely becomes like this sort of misogynistic, uh, power-hungry individual. The first time he has power, he wants to harm others and he wants to control women specifically. Yeah, you know? right. in a really, really demeaning way, too. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. Warren is a full-blown creep. Yeah. <laughs> So it's 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 interesting because it's almost it, it it does speak to a time before like yeah geekdom sort of like ruled the world but it also is a insight to those writers seeing some of the problematic elements in geekdom and how maybe some geeks would respond to these things and I I would even say I remember specifically as a fan during season six and season five too one of the problems that they were the writers were having with the fan base because they would interact a lot with them on forums was that people really wanted, like, Buffy to forgive Spike of, like, everything and just be with him. They were like, why is she so mean? Why does he... And they would have to come out and explain, like, hey, he kills people. He has no soul. And uh, some of the places they took him in season six were a response to, I think, ensure that, hey, we need you to understand why uh, being a good person or having uh, this moral compass is an important thing and the fact that he is lacking that, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the final season. Season seven of Buffy, the big conclusion, the big Hellmouth story arc, Spike finally becoming the hero. So many cool big things in this one. Um, Barbara, why don't you start us off on season seven? Oh, dear. Um, I didn't love season seven. <laughs> um, I really didn't. I... Oh, I don't even know what to say about season seven. I, I, I really struggled with this season. It just never gelled for me. Um, I loved the what happened in the final episode with um, Buffy and Willow being able to share the power of the scythe with all of the potential slayers. I think that was a really fantastic moment, mm -hmm. uh, especially for young female viewers to see. Um, but overall, uh, yeah, I just, I really struggled to connect with this season. I can understand that. Brian, how about you? Um, I think that's all fair. I think this season um, is probably the weakest of, of Buffy seasons, unfortunately. I think it has some really strong individual episodes and moments uh, that really speak to like where the series was going. And like looking at it thematically, I think the idea of bringing the first back is the big bad. I think the idea of bringing all these... Uh, slayers, like young slayers, uh, to Buffy's house and sort of having her have to step into this new role of, like, how do I pass on my gift, you know, uh, is really, really interesting. And I would even argue, like, well, I was sort of upset with the episodes that kind of rehash uh, season one episodes mm -hmm. or, like... Um, there, there's an interesting concept there that almost reminds me of what we're doing today in pop culture with things like The Force Awakens or Terminator... Dark Fate, where we have the character who was once in the like spotlight hero perspective, finding themselves in the mentor right. uh, position and sort of reflecting on like, oh, I remember being in this place. 
I just feel like the execution wasn't done as strongly. It's, a, it's all great ideas, but it, it seemed like a lot of uh, importance was lacking, and I felt like we got like three or four really strong episodes, and the show went out on a high note, but, but the majority was kind of lacking, as I said. Don, what was your take on season seven? Um, I think season seven was um, thematically was really strong. I think its execution uh, suffered what most final seasons would in terms of trying to tie up loose ends. Uh, but the episodes, conversations with dead people, and oh yeah, uh, so good. The the two that were where Faith was trying to well not trying to where Faith naturally claimed leadership over the group when she found when when she was seeing Buffy was having a struggle with it. They, you know they wanted to explore a new new ground or a new approach. I think really kind of bring home the idea um, of how lonely leadership must feel when you have such so much responsibility you know it's a, it's a lot for her, for Buffy to take on in one season and given everything she's been going through she the responsibility of being a slayer is still so lonely and so um, almost insurmountable for her at times uh, the heavy-handed speeches were I mean they poked fun <laughs> they poked yeah. fun at it towards the end which was really which was really great it was a good self-aware moment um, but they, they got a little too much for me. And I'm like, we, we've heard this in so many ways over seven seasons that we could have filled yeah. that space with a little more maybe mythology building. But, um, I mean, it was, a, it was a good season. It wasn't their strongest. Yeah. Nick, how about you? Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I think it's funny, too, when you put in a plot point, like um, and the, the hell mouth is getting, you know, more crazy and stuff. And so it's like, to lower, I guess, on from a writing standpoint, like the death count or whatever. It's like it's just like everybody. <laughs> everybody just leaves, leaves. <laughs> and the whole town is deserted. Uh, so you can do whatever. Um, I mean, it, it kind of not so subtly points to like where everything is going uh, with the whole uh, crater thing. Um, but it is a cool image, you know, seeing like. Um, you know, all the friends and all the the, the new s- slayers that are left mm-hmm. and they're just, like, standing on the edge of the destruction of, you know, everything that came before and going, like, you know, now what do we do? Yeah. I, I think that's, like, kind of a fun place to end. It kind of leaves it open for future adventures, but um, I think it, it's, it kind of um, diminishes, like, the whole finality of it. Um, I guess I could have, would have liked to have seen more of like a definitive, like this is kind of the end, but um, I'm not too sure what they were thinking behind the scenes of like, yeah. will there be another season or? I think they were pretty not, sure there wasn't at that point, right? Yeah, they knew it was going to be an end, but they were considering some spinoffs yeah. and yeah. some like hence, TV movies. Yeah, hence like the that. like, there's a bunch of Slayers. Yeah, <laughs> it could be any one of them. Yeah, I know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I was like happy with kind of the e- the ending, um, but you know I would have liked to have seen it be just like a little more definite. But I know like especially in like uh, sci-fi and geek stories and stuff, no- you know nothing's ever over. Right, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, I agree with you guys as far as execution versus concept. Like they had some really really cool concepts, like activating all the other slayers. The first, in theory, is a great villain. Um, and I actually, I really liked um, the connection between Robin Wood and Spike and yes. how Spike yeah, had killed cool. his mother. 
Um, so a lot of cool stuff, but yeah, the execution on it was just a little bit, it really felt like, oh, we got to wrap everything up, so let's squeeze all this in, you know? Um, but I love uh, Conversations with Dead People, like you mentioned, Don. That is such a good episode. And um, one of my favorite moments in TV history is when Angel shows up and punches Caleb in the face. <laughs> like, just that hero moment. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. yes. Um, and this is, we get, you know, we get Nathan Fillion in this show, which is kind of yes. the fallout of Firefly mm-hmm. not coming together. And you get that in a couple of different ways in Angel, too. So it's kind of fun to see them sprinkle that stuff in. Mm-hmm. Um, that is all of our seasons. Let me hit you guys with a few more quick questions before we wrap up here. Uh, we talked a little bit about the relationship between Buffy and Angel. Um, I think back then it was fair to say that fanboys wouldn't typically connect too strongly with love stories. I know I was a fanboy and love stories were not my favorite thing. Um, but there was something about the Buffy and Angel story that really seemed to connect. So I'm just kind of curious, why do you guys think the connection between them worked so well or didn't work well? Um, and uh, let's just take a quick look at that. So, Brian, what do you think? Um, you know what? I'm going to... I don't mean to start off on a, on a, uh, a contradiction. No, do it. Do it. <laughs> but but uh, I would argue um, I had the same assumption, I think, at that time as a, a teenage male geek, like that, oh, love stories, that's not for me, romance. Um, but I would think... I think that what I have found and what Buffy taught me very specifically was to love certain things that I had been encouraged by either society or my group of friends that weren't necessarily for me. Um, I think the romance uh, is one aspect. Ensemble casts are a number, another thing. But when I look back at uh, what caught me with Buffy, it is the romance. I think that it was such a well-written, engaging romance that it appealed to a lot of individuals of both genders and from lots of different places. And I think that even... Uh, though male geeks, you know, at that time thought of themselves as like, well, we're not into romance. I think that's why things like Empire Strikes Back succeed. I think yeah. we want to tell ourselves like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't, we don't need love. We don't need romance in our stories. Every single story that has an enduring, you know, uh, uh, fandom seems to have that buried somewhere within the story. Mm-hmm. It's because those are human emotions. And I think maybe... Buffy allowed a lot of us male fans to acknowledge that, hey, some of these things that we are told are for girls, that's not true. And maybe, you know, we use this to to step into that world, you know? Yeah, I think that's excellent. I can totally relate to that. Don or Nick, do you guys, you kind of relate to that too? Yeah, I'd, I think, um, it, you know, this was a, the first time, you know, this is pre-Twilight. <laughs> and like this is the you know the first time it's like you know it's a, a human uh vampire uh, relate well not necessarily the first human vampire relationship in media but like um i feel like on this level where uh you know it's kind of a a, a will they won't they thing and then mm-hmm. it's they're, they're kind of get, getting together i think it was portrayed in a real way where, where like you think like oh these two are meant for each other and they're going to be together and they kind they they do get together but they drift apart it doesn't like go they well. they literally go into two different tv shows um 
but like that's that kind of keeps you coming back too because you're like well maybe you know I kind of like them together actually maybe they'll get back I'm going to keep watching to see if they you know kind of get back together yeah <laughs> um so I think uh, like when you when you have a, a strong connection between two characters, whether like they're in love or not, what keeps you around is is that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a reason why it kind of it, it worked. Cool. Yeah, Don, what were you gonna say? What do you think? Um, I I think I think we were, we were talking earlier about how I think Barbara had said something about how um, unfortunately Buffy's relationships always are sort of or we're always sort of um dictated by angel um or at least earlier on and that was that was kind of a negative uh connotation to mm-hmm. to their relationship and and the angel character i think it was a great reversal when he came comes back in because he hears about riley in season four and uh yeah. buffy <laughs> has to sit him down and and was like you know what this is how the relationship is going to go you go home and I have my life. Yeah. And, that, yeah. Um, and I think, I think, you know, with fanboys before, um, there's that masculinity thing where, where I felt alone watching the show growing up and I couldn't really share that with anyone. But I'm realizing now with the emergent geek culture that this was always cool. This was always relevant. You just couldn't ever really talk about it or didn't want to or were always afraid of, of, of the thing. So these, these concepts were always just universal. And um, so it was growing up and, you know, that angel coming back and her telling him what's what was a great way of showing, yeah, everyone grows mm-hmm. up and things change and this is all really rel- uh, all relatable. So, yeah, I forgot about that part. That was a big yeah. moment for me. I was like, yeah, Buff, he, yeah. he has his own show. You need to go, <laughs> go on your side. Um, and I think that was when they were both still on the WB. So it was, it was, a, it was a great way to cross over for, for a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We love crossovers. Yeah. We do, we do. Barbara, talk to us about the Buffy and Angel relationship. What was your take? Sure. Uh, first, I think, speaking to a bit of what Don was saying and, and Bryant as well, um, I think it's so fascinating sometimes when we talk about romance because for me, growing up and, and still to this day, I've not uh, content or media that uh, is traditionally appealing to the majority of women has never really appealed to me. Um, and, and perhaps romance fits in that category, but um, I don't think that the idea or the concept of relationships is something that is foreign to all people, what, no matter of your gender, your sexual preference. Um, I think that that, as Don was saying, is such a universal thing, um, and it makes me think outside of this that uh, I think perhaps when we think of romance, we think of a very specific type of character, and we think of women that perhaps aren't written well, or that they're not written as quote-unquote strong women. And I think that uh, it's funny to think of romance with well-written female characters, because it does become more appealing, again, because of the characters themselves. And I think of things like Sarah Connor and Reese, mm, yeah. and I think of um, Ripley and um, uh, Hicks, yeah. uh, and I think of these strong women who can hold their own, and men who are not uh, in any way impacted or uh, afraid of that, intimidated, and, uh, intimidated yeah. by it. And so I think for me that's part of 
what I gleaned from the Buffy-Angel relationship is the opposite of that, at least in the beginning, because Don, I completely echo and co-sign what you were saying <laughs> about Buffy later on in the, the series. Mm. Um, but I think what struck a chord with me for Angel and Buffy is it seemed like that very stereotypical romance where um, she did fall into the, yeah. the weaker side of things and she wasn't given the opportunity to have agency and to choose things for herself. Um, and that's why I think just to kind of put a bow on it, that um, why Buffy is so, why it resonates so strongly with so many different kinds of people across the LGBTQ spectrum is that we had more relationships than just Angel and Buffy. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. could see mm -hmm. so many different uh, people and so many different people as they change uh, and accept themselves and realize what they are. And so there was something for everybody. And I think that's what was really so wonderful about this series. Well, and just to bounce off that, that's, I think that's what I was speaking to, uh, trying to speak to as well, is that there, what one thing that it really this show really made me appreciate that I took on with me to other genre fiction was... I felt like I before this show I would go in and like as a geek I'd center on one or two characters and I'd be like oh those are the people I'm interested in and this show really taught you like even as you're talking about relationships it wasn't just romantic relationships that were varied in this show they, they had relationships of all kinds you saw what it was to be a friend what it is to be a parent what it is to be a child you know like it, it really did uh, address all the aspects of, of its main characters' lives, you know, or attempted to. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about some of those other characters just uh, real quick here. Let's just kind of throw out. There's a ton of awesome supporting characters on this show. Obviously, we have Willow and Giles and Xander, kind of the core three, and then so many others. So um, let's just kind of go popcorn here, just kind of throw them out. Who are some <laughs> of your guys' favorite supporting characters? The cheese man. The cheese man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he might be like a cameo. I don't know if he's a supporting character. He's amazing. Changed my life. He was creepy enough to be a supporting character. <laughs> he lined the cheese up. He did. He made a special place organized. for them. Yes. yes uh. <laughs> That's a good start. Anybody else? Well, I, I know. I know it's out. I know it's outside the context a little bit, but I just watched You're Welcome from uh, the Angel episode. You're Welcome, like two nights sure, ago. Yes. And I just think uh, Cordelia. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so in love with Cordelia. I love. Her. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, we, uh, we haven't talked about Cordelia like at all. I yeah, know. I mean, yeah. she gets a lot of her journey in Angel, but huge. Part, but she yeah. does have growth in Buffy too. So she, she does. It was great that they did that classic, uh, like popular, like individual who can be a bully, but then they also humanized her almost Im immediately. Like she had a few episodes where she was just that role, but then first season they started. Uh, to to show like why is she like this you know what what has caused Cordelia to act this yeah way? yeah as early as the second episode or the first episode second season when when Buffy's like cold shouldering all her friends Cordelia is the one that chases her out of the bronze and was like hey listen you're gonna lose all your friends if you're gonna keep this up and uh, it mm -hmm. was it was like yeah Cordelia that's awesome <laughs> yeah it was, uh, it was a really big <laughs> moment for her uh, that that showed that she really really cared or at least has a connection with these people. Uh, and that was really that was really good to see. She and has, then uh, the wish, this, the episode oh from yeah. season three mm -hmm. where we get the introduction of Anya, like that's all built off of Cordelia's angst. Yeah, that was great. She has my favorite line. I think it was season. I think it's season two, where she's basically like just trying to get with Angel. Uh huh. <laughs> and she says like <laughs> she says uh, to Buffy like in the the school bathroom, you know. 
Um, you may be out there slaying vampires, but when it comes to dating, I'm the slayer. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? As we know, she eventually yeah. got Angel, didn't she? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, anybody else that stood out to you? I would throw Oz out there. I loved Oz. I think Oz yeah, is one of my favorites. Yeah. Barbara, are you okay? I'm, <laughs> oh, so painful. Um, no, I would actually, to your point, Don, I would actually, uh, one of my favorites that I appreciate being introduced on the show, but his strength was definitely an angel, but Wesley is Wesley. one of my hands-down favorite characters of all time. I have so many things to say about Wesley when we get to the angel yeah. episode. I'm <laughs> yes. so excited for that. <laughs> yes. I, I appreciate all the, uh, all the like, main uh, the people that cycled in through the main cast, but the people that are sticking out in my mind while we talk right now are really these like smaller smaller roles that made really big impacts like uh larry Mm -hmm. who is initially like this bully eventually becomes someone who is you know realizes his his sexuality comes out (laughs) and then also ends up ends up dying you know in in graduation and he only appears in a handful of episodes but he makes a really big impact and i think there's a number of characters like that um you know, some some are less favorable, but still make an impact. Like Scott Hope comes to mind. Oh, you know, Scott. who dated yeah. dated Buffy, and then we find out later was like trying to like badmouth her by saying that she, I think that she was gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. to her friends, then that's why she broke up and with Parker in season four. Oh my god, Ooh, oh. Parker. I I thought Parker. I thought that um, <laughs> Olivia was going to get something bigger. Um, <laughs> Yes. She, yeah. They were suggesting so many things, but I think that was just kind of a way to tug at us, uh, or maybe that she was under development or something. I just, I just always thought that she was, she was always just in the back of my mind as a character. They were probably going to do something with it, never did. I think they were holding off on her because they really wanted to do that Ripper yeah. series for so long. You know, where where it was going to be like a BBC Giles in so England cool. kind of thing and. Because yeah, you're right, Don. Especially that scene in in Restless where they have her with the uh, the baby cart sort of turned over and she's crying. Yes. Yeah. They're like, well, what? Did they, I mean, it could just mean like, oh, well, Giles wandered out of her life, but there could be a lot more implied. Yeah, in a world where we have a uh, Alfred Pennyworth show, how come there's no Giles show? <laughs> well, they're right. They serious. wanted to. Yeah. Serious. <laughs> It's, t- it's not too late. We it, could still have one. It isn't too late. <laughs> that would be great. If they announced Ripper, you know, at Comic-Con this year, I would be ecstatic. Oh, my <laughs> Absolutely. I, I have to say, and be only because I saw it on Twitter before uh, we signed on for this podcast today, um, but uh, Allison Handigan posted a picture of her uh, with uh, Seth Green uh, as Willow and Oz today. Aww. And Seth replied, I- I'm still game if you are. <laughs> I still, yeah, say, I still if you, you still. Yeah. It's literally a line from the show. Yeah, so. Wait, does she mean a new series? Uh, anyway, I'll take it. All right, how about villains? Let's go down that path. What are some of your favorite villains? Oh my gosh. Whether it's a big bad or just one of the villains of the week. Hmm. Gaknar. 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 <laughs> you bring up Gaknar all the Gaknar. time. You really yeah, love Gaknar. That episode is awesome. Because it's so yeah. scary uh, all the way through, and then at the end it's like... Argh. Yeah. And he's scary. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, he's terrifying up close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> up close. <yeah. laughs> 
Uh, De Hoffren was one of my favorites, especially when Willow began yeah. to emerge and he stopped being this funny, quirky character yeah. and started to show his true colors, mm-hmm. or at least his real, you know, the real power. And then his his ownership over Anya was one of the most terrifying like aspects of Anya's backstory. I could, you know, and and they were they were sort of wavery towards the end about how how much power he had over her or how free she was of it, but it was. It was an interesting kind of dominance, um, a dominance narrative uh, I saw there. Um, he was very interesting to me. Yeah, De Hoffren, it surprised me how long he stuck around and how important he ended up being. Who was? He actually got to be a big bad in the, the later comic yeah. seasons as well, too. He came back. Who was the, who was the, the bad guy in... Uh, it's when Faith is introduced. He's got, like, the clove-hoofed... Hands. Oh, oh yeah. Kakistos. Yeah, Kakistos. It's <laughs> funny because Kiss, he's kissing, kissing like toast. Introduced. Kissing toast. Yeah. Like, as, like, oh, this guy's going to be the big bad yeah. guy. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> like he's he a has, vampire like, so old that he yeah. has cloven feet. Yeah, he has, like, vampire, like, posse around him. He drives in a limo. Yeah. Yeah, he and, has the Mr. Trick character. And then, like, yeah. he goes, confronts Buffy and Faith and, like, dies immediately. Yeah. And the other vampires are like, eh, see you later. <laughs> like, oh, <I> <laughs> Pragmatic yeah. vampires. Awesome. I, uh, I always, uh, it, I mean, it's an obvious one, but uh, Angelus has always been yeah. the, the top for me. And I feel like they, they, he, he has several appearances, but they don't always, it seems to be like uh, certain people get the character right, certain people don't. But when he, they do get the character right, he's terrifying. He's terrifying in a way that, like, you don't see on a CW or WB show, you know? Uh, like, Passion, that episode where he specifically, like, sort of hunts down uh, and, like, messes with the uh, the group of friends and then hunts down Jenny Calendar is just uh, incredibly unsettling. Yeah. And I feel like they found several uh, times and ways to do that with that character. Yeah, just the idea of a villain so dangerous because they know you so well. Mm-hmm. And and some of the like I mean things that he does too. To- we were just watching uh, I guess Becoming Part mm-hmm. Two where he's torturing Giles mm-hmm. and you don't see much of it on screen, but the way that it's shot and the acting by Anthony Stewart Head, you just get these implications like this guy's bad. He's really really <laughs> yeah. bad. Uh, Darla sticks out to me mm-hmm. as almost uh, almost more terrifying than than Angel. Um, I liked how they dedicated a whole season to her over on Angel, but. Her, her coming back into sort of the mythology around season five uh, for the backstory for Spike, Drusilla, yeah. Angel, Darla was amazing. I just, I love watching, watching her be a part of that mythology still. So interesting I wanted, too. That I kind of wanted her. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I sort of wanted her to come back in some way and fight Buffy when, when they were, when she was, when Buffy had like Sophia Crawford and I really wanted to see what a fight would be like between them yeah. instead of her death you know, in season one, so suddenly. Um, and it would have been some good symmetry, too, because, interestingly, she's the very first character you see in the entire series. It's true. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. She didn't even show up at the end as the first. I was uh, a little surprised by that. That's true. That's true. Maybe the first can't... Well, no, Buffy died twice. I was going to say, maybe the first can't take the form of someone who's died more than once, but it took... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics. Um, I think one that I really enjoyed, not one of the stronger villains, but a fun one, was uh, Ethan Rain, whenever he would pop oh, up. Oh, he was great, yeah. So maybe we could have seen more of him if we did get a Ripper series. But uh, 
he's that under, would be great. He's under initiative capture. Is that his fate? His final fate. He yeah. died actually, and uh, he he died in the first comic season of oh. Buffy, the eighth the eighth season. Um, he dies in military uh, capture. I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it good? It was sort of anticlimactic. Uh, okay. it, was, it was sort of a herald of things to come in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that does kind of segue into my last question here, though. Um, so we, like, we've, we've said many times we know the Buffyverse lives on in comics. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, there's new comics and stuff like that being made. Um, but I'm curious what you guys would want to see as far as an actual return of this show. Like, would you ever want to see this cast come back and do it all again? Would you want to see a reboot or anything like that? Um, so, Bryant, would you want to see anything like that? I would, but it would not be a direct, like, reboot or uh, reunion. Honestly, what I got really excited just talking about Ripper for a second. And, like, I think, like... You don't have to do it exactly that way, but that way would be fantastic. I, the idea of taking someone who is a side character like Anthony Stewart Head, and like, what if Anthony Stewart Head was training the, a, a new Slayer or were following him in some aspect? Um, I would like that more than like a just a reunion. I like the idea of maybe seeing these old characters show up in episodes or in smaller fashions, but not making them the focus and, and, and dealing with that idea of like, how has the world changed? What happens when you are no longer the one on the front line? How do you help? You know, that kind of thing would be very interesting to me. Obviously, the one thing I'll put out there is you have to figure out something to do with your, uh, your actors who are vampires who have sort of aged out. <laughs> yeah. You better get some of that, uh, that Marvel de-aging technology. Hey, if they can <laughs> age Terminators, they can age vampires, right? Yeah. Sure, sure. I, you know, they did it for the Irishman, so... Or just always have them in vi- vampire mode. So yeah. So you just put makeup yeah, on. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara, what about you? What would you like to see? I don't know. I'm really torn. I, I think I lean more towards what Bryant was saying, that I don't know that I need a, a reunion show because it would just feel a little too tacky for yeah. me, I think. Um, but I would definitely be interested. I would love to see these characters again, but I would say that I probably don't have the writing chops to think through a story that would uh, necessitate them to all come back. <laughs> sure. I'm not entirely sure. How about you, Don? Um, I, I think a reboot would be irresponsible to mm-hmm. the, the idea that these concepts and these characters are timeless. Um, I think we're, our reboot culture has just gotten way out of hand. Yeah. We don't need it. Um, but definitely revisiting this world. I mean, Mo- Frey was a great way to stay in this world. Yes, it through, was. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a different medium, but also, you know, there, there were some crossover elements there that they, they were allowed to. But giving us the excitement of these characters coming back in one way or another, even if they never do, is, uh, is you know, it would, would, would really charge a new series in the same world. And I think uh, that's what I, I want to see. And... Going back to what I originally said, it'd be cool if Christy Swanson had just made some appearance in a future version of Buffy. <laughs> That'd be really fun to see. I yeah, think. she should have played Darla. She should have <laughs> played. That's hard to say. That's yeah. hard. That's hard. I know to Julie Benz is great, so we don't want to discount that. But. What about you, Nick? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily. I feel like Buffy. It's like one of those things that's like of its time. 
Yeah, like Space Jam, you know? Like, <laughs> Space I don't, like, <laughs> like, you can't, I know they're doing it, but it's like, you're not going to recapture that magic, you know? No. Um, so, uh, what I think people should do, I know it would be like a total waste of money on a studio part, but like, have a reunion episode, but all it is is literally just a reunion. Like, they just get like the characters get together and like, hey, how you been? How you doing? And they just sit, da- they sit down. Just a dinner party. They sit down and it's just a conversation with all those characters and they're like, oh shoot, I gotta go, you know, I gotta go home. Pick yeah, I gotta go pick up my kid and stuff like that and then everybody just leaves and then that's that's all it is. Just like this half hour episode of just... Netflix special. Yeah, just, yeah. Whedon, just Whedon-esque oh, dialogue boy. all over the place and then that's that's all it is, you know. Like that's that. Like, that was, I feel like that's something that everyone should do when it's like considering doing a reunion show or a reboot or something. It's like have those characters sit down and talk to each other for a while. And if people like that, then move forward. But like, yeah, unneeded. It's of its time. Let it, you know, let it sit there in its time. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. I, I don't want to reboot either. I think what we already have is so good and a reboot is unnecessary, irresponsible. I think Don is what you said. I think that's a, a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Is it? I didn't know if I was <laughs> crossing the line. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, okay. But I do think it's a great world. And, you know, just like Star Wars, mm-hmm. like it would be cool to see other stuff in other corners of this world, whether it involves yeah. characters we know or not. I think that would be kind of cool. Right. Um, Does it belong to Disney? I mean, who? who? It, technically, yeah, technically it is a, a Disney asset now because they bought it with the, the Fox uh, oh, deal. Yeah, so we are gonna we get can see what happens. Yeah, we are going <laughs> to. So, so Blade Blade Buffy crossover is now what I'm going to edit. Oh, is that what you're going for? There you go. You know now now I'm wondering if we should do something. We go back in time. What about a period piece where like uh, ah. you know we're in like Watchers Council in the 60s yeah, or 70s? Yeah. Yes, or the Boxer <laughs> you know? Rebellion Slayer. Like Ooh, tell her story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. Or even because just then a you can bring movie. back Darla, Angel, Drusilla, mm-hmm. and Spike. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a de <laughs> Oh, yeah, de well, Disney owns them, so they can do that. It's yeah. great. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, well, at least we have a spinoff series that we can talk about. So I'm going to yes. stop this here, and I'm going to say head over to the Fanbase Weekly and check out our episode <coughs> on Angel. Um, so before we do that, guys, let's just close out. Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, Don, where can everybody find your work, and where can they find you online? Um, InHiatusStudios.com is our uh, indie publishing company, and then ScoutComics.com, you can find Rise. And I'll see you guys on the Comic-Con circuit. Awesome. Somewhere, somewhere. And then where can we find fan-based stuff online? Sure, you can find us at FanBasePress.com, and we're on all of the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, YouTube, everything except MySpace. Except <laughs> MySpace. Oh. <laughs> I feel like everybody a, has to make that now. That's like, a market you're missing yeah. out on. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And um, we'll Thank see you. you over on the Angel Show. So head on over to the Fanbase Weekly and check that out. That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Bryant and Barbara Dillon and Donna Gilio for joining us. Be sure to check out the second half of this crossover event over at the Fanbase Weekly Podcast, where all of us gather once again to dive deep into Angel and celebrate its 20th anniversary. Also, if you're new to the Story Geeks podcast, 
be sure to check out other shows on this channel and our sister channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. Lastly, if you want to vote on upcoming show topics, get access to our discussion questions and prompts, or even join us live while we record an episode, please consider becoming a member of the Story Geeks Club. For more information, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth.